It certainly is a marvelous opportunity and a privilege that we each have today to come together like this with the safety and security that a region affords and provides. Certainly there are places in the world where there's hostility and where in fact one is in danger in terms of physical life when he or she chooses to come together for a place of worship as you and I are. And certainly we can be very thankful that we have the security and the capability to do this in freedom and in liberty. As has already been mentioned, we of course look with a degree of excitement to the gospel meeting that begins here next Lord's Day morning. Brother Ben Flat will be with us from Sunday morning through Wednesday evening as he brings us the various lessons. I think Roger shared with us Wednesday that many of the topics will be surrounding the theme of love from one perspective or another. So we can, with excitement, look together or look toward the event of that gospel meeting, continue to pray for it, that its successfulness, that those who need to be here, who are those that are lost currently, will in fact be touched by the messages that are brought and be able to render obedience while the opportunity and the time is yet theirs. I thought today that we would consider in the lesson both this morning and this evening issues concerning the need for the gospel. And in fact, that leads me to make one slight correction if you are looking at the bulletin. I had supplied a title for the lesson tonight, but uh, I chose to change that. We will in fact be looking both this morning and tonight at matters concerning the need for the gospel. I think all of us need to be reminded from time to time about the marvelous privilege and the blessed treasure that's ours in terms of the gospel. And so we will in fact make two lessons concerning that theme and topic. This morning we will look at three reasons for the needfulness of the gospel and tonight we will look at three more. Six total reasons for you and me to understand the marvelous heritage and treasure that affords in the gospel. When we consider the need for the gospel, the characteristic concerning it, you might notice that the lesson text was taken from Romans 1 verse number 16. We will arrive at that verse in due course of our study this morning. But let's in fact set the stage for the discussion by looking at some issues concerning the gospel per se. We are well aware that the Bible affirms the importance of the gospel. It mentions it on so many occasions. It states its existence and affirms mankind's need for it. We, of course, in our lesson this morning, will start to ask, why is it so important? Why is that message, in terms of importance, standing above others? Are there not other messages of equal vitality, equal significance? Consider with me this. As I point out to you there, what does the word gospel mean? I think we can go a long way toward appreciating it if only we know the meaning of that Greek term. The Greek word that's translated is euangelion. Again, it simply is written as gospel in the King James as well as many other translations. That word simply means good news or glad tidings. All of us enjoy receiving good news. It seems as though we receive bad news so very often. We all notice how terrible it might be when you're waking up at 2 in the morning, a phone's ringing, and we immediately suspect that bad news is waiting on the other end. We get that phone call from someone who perhaps has a neighbor in the hospital. We perhaps expect bad news. Maybe at work, given the state, current state of the economy, the boss calls me into the office. It's probably not good news. But thankfully, the word gospel means good news. It means glad tidings. It is that which ought to bring a smile to our face. 
What is so good about it? Why is it so needful? You might also notice that the word occurs 101 times in the, in the King James Version of the Bible. And of course, all of them are in the New Testament. I'd submit that over a hundred occurrences of the word gospel, that alone is worthy of some reflection. For after all, if it's used that often, there must be great importance and great remarkable character surrounding it. I would submit this morning that we only look at a few of the occurrences of that word. We certainly do not need to remain here throughout the afternoon hours. It probably would take that long to look at all 101 of them. But let's just look at a few that occur in Romans. The book of Romans we are studying on our Wednesday evening classes, and we have advanced into the early part of chapter 3. And during that time, we already have encountered the word gospel on several occasions. We will revisit some of them, and I hope gain a new perspective on why the gospel is so important. There at the bottom, you will notice that 13 times in the book of Romans, Paul uses the word gospel, and he uses it so strategically. He uses it with such great importance. What are some of them? Let's begin our study by looking at that first text and the first set of things that you and I can appreciate by. In the first two verses of the first chapter of the book of Romans, we encounter Paul's opening usage of the word gospel, and he uses it with such eloquence. He uses it with such directness. You might notice, in fact, the very statement that he makes. Paul makes reference to this fact. He said, in referring to the gospel, that our fathers, as he affirms it there, are such that they didn't always have access to it. It was not something that they, in fact, had, but that it was prophesied by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel prophesied by the fathers in the Scriptures. That helps us appreciate the following sets of things. The gospel, as you and I know it, was not available to those ancient fathers of the Old Testament era. Pause and consider that point with me. This which you and I may sometimes take for granted, they never had. Paul said it was prophesied. He didn't say it was in existence. He didn't say that they could partake of its blessings and its glory. He said they prophesied of it. And I thought that it would do us well to look at some passages that helped to consider us on the point of appreciating that thought. The gospel, as you and I appreciate it, does satisfy so many Old Testament prophecies. I've listed a few of them for your consideration. This text in Romans is certainly one of them. Paul said that very gospel that you and I are able to appreciate, that the Roman church understood and had been delivered to them, is the same gospel that fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament. It's to be noted and has often been affirmed, when one takes proper consideration of the gospel and the prophecies concerning it, how could anyone disbelieve this book? When one sees those specific, minute, exact, and detailed statements and the fulfillment of them is exactly provided, even in terms of individuals, nature of the gospel. Notice also, if you would, in Genesis 3.15, early on in the sacred text, we remember that after Adam and Eve's gigantic mistake, they partook of the forbidden fruit that God had specifically told them not to partake of, it was then after punishing the serpent, laying that degree of punishment upon him, that God turned his attention to Adam and too laid punishment 
on he and as well as Eve. During the course of those statements, in Genesis 3.15, it was in the statement of that time that God said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he shall bruise thy head. That statement, we find the fulfillment of it in the nature of the coming of Christ, his victory over Satan. Notice the good news found in that. Here Adam and Eve were separated from God because of sin. Here they were themselves doomed to an eternity in hell if nothing else was done. And God hung out the blessedness of good news. I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and her seed. I'm going to, in fact, be such that this one that's the seed of woman shall bruise Satan thy head. Victory over Satan is yet to be enjoyed according to what was stated there. And that victory came about in the personage of Christ and the gospel ministration that he made available to us. I'd submit if there ever was good news, that is it. Satan is not the overwhelming victor anymore. Jesus is. Didn't the Lord affirm in Mark 3, 27, a stronger than the strong man is here? The devil's a strong man, but I'm telling you, there is one stronger than he. When we read the New Testament and study the various references to Christ that's found therein, we see this buoyant and bright one. And is it not said of him that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge? Colossians 2 verse 3. And in Christ, is it not said, we are complete in Him? Colossians 2, verse number 10. Notice the good news to be found in all of those references. But yet, look at another. In Isaiah 53, we occur and affirm that there are 12 verses in that chapter. We will not read all of them. But might we notice especially verses 4, 5, and 6. In those three verses, we read again about a nugget of good news, a nugget of glad tidings, a nugget that we should ever appreciate daily in my life and in yours. Surely he hath borne our sorrows and carried our griefs, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That was verse 4. Verse 5. This writer continues by saying, After this estimation that this one... Though he carried our sorrows, though he in fact was in a position to be, as it were, smitten, stricken of God and afflicted. Verse 5 goes on to say words like this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all know who that's talking about. We all know that for my transgressions, nails were put in his hands. For your transgressions, a crown of thorns was put on his head. By, by his stripes, we are healed. The Lord took my place and yours at Calvary. He substituted for me, for I was the one that deserved it. And you were the one that deserved what he received. And yet, on that cross, the very crux of the gospel is set forth for us. All that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isn't it then tragic to notice verse 6? In light of what He has done for us, it goes on to say, Yea, we have all gone every way, our own way. We live in a world where that same scenario is still occurring. Men go first one way and then another. They go every way but the way they ought to be going. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. It's the glad tidings. 
Men may search for gladness and good tidings in any number of places, but they search in vain. There is no other eternal good news than this one. We're about to have a gospel meeting. Note the name of it. That means it's a meeting of good news. It's a meeting of glad tidings. And it's not because of being flat per se. Though we appreciate his capability and a masterpiece at that of being able to proclaim the truth. What he's preaching is what's so vital. What he will set forth is the good news. And thus, may we with earnestness pray on behalf of that meeting and encourage others to be a part of it, to come and listen with attention, to come and be a participant in the activities that, that, uh, that in fact take place. Notice some other text in Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The inspired psalmist of the long ago made a direct statement about a coming king, K-I-N-G. And this king would be one to whom the nations would turn. This king would have the great disposal and power of God, for he would be God. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. That one that came was, of course, the Christ. The blessed Son of God, God Emmanuel, which means God with us. May we thus appreciate he did come. He fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies in the character of his life, in that which he set forth, in the doctrine that he delivered. We each have the very true reflection of all the importance of the gospel. Could we not ask it this way? The realization, why did the Lord leave heaven? Certainly he must have been happy there. He was with his Father God. He had all the disposal and worship of the angels at his side. And yet he chose to leave heaven, to come to a place like this, knowing that they were going to nail him to a cross, knowing that they were going to despise him, afflict him, hit him in the face, spit upon him. And yet he did all of it anyway. He came because he loved you and me. He knew that your soul and mine needed saving. And he knew that his blood was the only purchase price for that body that could emanate in our salvation. Note yet again in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, we read of the absolute prophecy of the nature of the doctrine known as the gospel. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, said, There's coming a day when I'll write my thoughts on their hearts. I will write my words in their being. We can understand how lovely that thought is. The statement of the gospel and its importance only takes us yet one step further on that slide. It is the very idea about the gospel being the last written reflection, the last written communication from God. God is an intelligent being, and He fashioned us the same way. And He has communicated with us in the nature of that gospel. I've listed some verses for you to consider. In Hebrews 8, verses 8 and following, the inspired writer there affirms that the former days of the law of Moses, that no longer was what was binding upon the human family. And that he hath made the first old, he hath taken that away, for it is decayed and waxed old. But notice also, later in that same chapter, in verse number 13, the statement therein is very clearly set forth, that this covenant here is a better one. This one is superior to the old law of Moses. And not only that, can we not see in Matthew 17, verse number 5, on that Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus there appeared with two other great Old Testament characters, 
Moses on the one hand, Elijah on the other. It was to be noted, though, God said on that occasion, Hear ye him. The time had come and gone when it was proper to hear Moses. The time had come and gone when it was proper to hear Elijah. Now Christ is the one to be heard. And so in Hebrews 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, we read that God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. How does God speak today? Through His Son. What are the words of His Son? The Gospel. Thus, we see one more reason for the significance and importance of the Gospel. It is the way God communicates with us today. May we not lose sight of that truth, and may we never fail to appreciate it. As we summarize and close that opening slide of the lesson today, no gospel, no communication today from God. No wonder we need to appreciate it then, and to make it a part of our lives and to use it as we help to teach and to lead others. But let's look at yet another appearance of the word gospel in the Roman letter and see another reason for its needfulness today. We have looked at Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. Look at Romans 1, verse number 9. Consider the statement that is therein made also about the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse number 9. As we read that together, Paul says, For my witness, or for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Did you notice that Paul said he served God through the gospel? There are very, very many people in our world today who think that they are serving God. They, in fact, will admit and confess to doing the same when all the while a close scrutiny of their activities and their worship and the religious organization to which they belong calls into question their service in the gospel. But that points us to the idea behind this slide. Notice the very top. The gospel is the means to serve God. You can already appreciate where we will ultimately land as we close this screen. No gospel, no serving God. It doesn't matter what one claims. It doesn't matter what one, in fact, wishes to have perspective on. If it is not grounded in the truth of the gospel and is not based upon the truth set forth in the gospel, it is not a service to God despite what the person may think. In Romans 1 verse number 9, one can echo that sentiment in Acts chapters 9, 22, and 26. Perhaps already by that reference you can rest assured that we're going to be discussing Paul somewhat briefly. Here was a man who felt certain that he was serving God. He was a Jew at that time in his life. He was a person who, in fact, apparently had great influence with the Sanhedrin Council. He gave his voice when individuals were put to death because they were Christians. So enthusiastic was he that he, in fact, went about to imprison Christians, to do all that was in his power to destroy the influence of the gospel. However, the day of Pentecost by that point was a part of history. He himself was subject to that gospel, and on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Here was a man who thought he was serving God. He wasn't. Here was a man who said he lived in all good conscience to that day. That didn't matter. 
He was not serving God. Today, how do you and I serve God? Is it just because I think that things are fine? Is it because that I'm earnest and honest and sincere? Is that sufficient? Paul said, Romans, I'm thankful that I serve God through the gospel. No gospel, no serving God today. That's another reason as to why our elders have chosen to support and to have a gospel meeting. So that individuals, you and I, could be edified in our service through the gospel, but others can come to know the gospel, and they too can come to serve Him. Isn't it a tragedy to see the human family so awash, inundated in a world, in a set of feelings separate and apart from the gospel, and yet they think that that's some type of notable service to God. It's nothing but a delusion. We are filled in a world with isms, aren't we? There's materialism and existentialism and adventism and socialism and any number of other isms. And men hold and cling to these with desperation, thinking that that gives them purpose, meaning, and justification. And what's more, that it's respectable in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. It's only a sad delusion at best. No gospel, no service to God. We should thus seek to instill in our children the importance of the gospel and in our lives to live that gospel so that others can appreciate its meaning in our life. One of the last things I chose to put on that slide, a number of passages that should help us remember the reflection and the importance of serving God in the gospel. To serve means to obey. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's fairly straightforward, isn't it? One chapter later in John 15, 14, he said, You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And thus today, despite feelings, no, God, no service through the gospel. You're no friend of the Savior's. If one is not a friend, that only leaves one other attitude, doesn't it? An enemy. In John 14, verses 21 and 23, Jesus in other types of statements and language simply said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That's again rather straightforward, isn't it? That person who has God's commands, the gospel, who knows them and keeps them is the one that loves Jesus. We can thus see that there's no love for Jesus if we don't obey the gospel. That means obedience to the gospel is primary. It is absolutely significant. Perhaps one final thing might be to notice. In Hebrews 5 verses 8 and 9, the thought is set forth that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. That, of course, speaking of Jesus. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Thus, this service to the gospel is wound around the whole idea of our obedience to that gospel. No wonder Paul urged the Romans to obey the doctrine delivered them. Romans 6, verse 17. Might we notice as we close that screen, so far we have learned no gospel, no communication from God today, and no gospel, no service to God. No wonder the gospel is that vital. And no wonder the final statement for our lesson this morning can now be made. When we look at Romans 1 verse number 16, we encounter another usage that Paul gave for the word gospel. 
It's that text that Jeremy read for us a few moments ago. For I am not ashamed of what, Paul? Of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is another employment of the word gospel. In what way did Paul use it and what does it mean? I'm not ashamed. You and I might know of individuals that are ashamed of their their kind of religion today. They don't want to talk about it. They conceal it. They hide it. They put it beneath a bushel as Jesus described in Matthew 6. Paul said, I'm telling you, Roman brethren, I'm not ashamed of it. He said, I'm a debtor to preach it. I'm ready to preach it. I'm not ashamed to preach it. Romans 1, 14 to 16. And when Paul was blessed to come finally to Rome, I have no doubt that he shared with them exactly, pointedly, and identically the gospel of Jesus Christ. I suspect his attitude was just like it was to the Corinthian brethren in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. Where on that occasion he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, Paul said, many things perhaps in my learnedness I could have shared, but I determined not to know anything among you, he said, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel. You can see on this very last slide that there is a critical need for the gospel because of the fact of sin. We mentioned earlier in the lesson today that in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had messed up, and that's putting it lightly. They had chosen to disobey the God of heaven. And as such, they committed sin. They ushered sin into the human family. And not only they, but all we too have been guilty of the same. For Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Indeed, there is no man that sinneth not, to quote 1 Kings 8.46. The realization of that thought is that then sin separates a person from God. I'm reminded of Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 1. On that occasion, the inspired prophet simply said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin, by its very nature, causes a separation between the individual and God. What is it that may close that gap? What is it that allows that chasm to be closed? Notice that God is just and pure. He will not just overlook sin. Something has to be done to pay for it, to in fact bring an element of justification on the part of the individual. It is the gospel that makes that available. As surely as all of us are guilty, all are in need of the gospel. I've listed some more passages for your consideration that highlight the gospel in this way. I'd like you to read with me Romans 3, verse 25. This verse we will soon encounter in our study of the Roman letter on Wednesday nights. But in Romans 3, 25, Paul wrote, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. 
In that reference, we find Paul lifting high the banner of Jesus and forgiveness through the nature of the gospel. Can we not already begin to see no gospel, no salvation? No gospel, no salvation. Some other things that I've chosen to share with you on that screen highlight the very character of the fact of why the gospel is so significant. I have every expectation that an individual, be it myself or some other person, could stand in this pulpit and preach any number of things that would tickle the ears of the human family. And I suspect in two months' time we could have this building filled and in need to sit out chairs. But that is not what salvation is about. There is only one message, and that's the gospel. It's tragic, isn't it, to think that we could fill a building if we'd bring in an orchestra, perhaps play some nice loud rap music, perhaps in fact do any number of other uh, social kinds of activities and ideas. And just like Isaiah st stated in Isaiah 6, I have every thought that we could fill this place in a matter of weeks. Problem is, if we preach the gospel, if we as a congregation lift high the banner of Christ and nothing else, that doesn't seem to tickle the ears the same way that the world prefers. It's not the message that's fun, entertaining, enjoyable. My friend, though, it boils down to this. No gospel, no salvation. No gospel, no service to God. No gospel, no communication from God today. That's why we preach it and it alone. It's why we, like Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4.11. It's why Paul was able to say in Romans 10 that his heart was broken because these have chosen another righteousness, which is not another. And that's why Paul in the Galatian letter said, though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached unto you, let him be accursed. You see, there is no other. If you and I reject that, we reject the only thing that can save us. We reject the only thing that can lead us to salvation. The only thing that's God's communication today. With those thoughts, might we summarize our lesson this morning in words like this. The gospel is of critical importance. It's more important than the United States economy. It's more important than the United States president's message yesterday on the radio. It's more important, in fact, than my job or yours. It's more important than the characteristics surrounding the car that you or I might drive. All of those pale in comparison to the gospel. It is so important that without it, we can't have life. Without it, we're dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Without it, we have no communication from God today. And so if I choose to ignore that, I am ignoring the only message He's ever going to give me. Furthermore, without that, I have no idea how to serve Him acceptably. And without the gospel, there's no hope to ever be saved from hell. Do you know of anyone in this life who right now is bound for an eternity in hell? Then invite them to come to this meeting. Invite them to come and listen to what Brother Ben will share from the gospel. Or invite them to come on any other occasions, not just next week, but on any Sunday or Wednesday. Maybe perhaps a Bible study can follow. Things can be shared that will touch them with a note of urgency and will lead them to see the need to become a part of the gospel era and its ministration. Today, what about your life and mine? 
Do you stand four square on the gospel? If you do, praise be unto God and thank Him in prayer for it. But if you do not this morning, if things are amiss, it could be for one of two reasons. Either you have never become a Christian to begin with. To this point in life, though you know what the Lord did for you, you've rejected every element of the message that He has extended. Don't continue that attitude, but openly embrace the gospel. Humbly obey it. And let Him make you into a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. That, that is accomplished as you believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life, confess His name as the Son of God, and be immersed, baptized for the remission of sins. If you have done that, but for some reason, due to weakness, due to apathy, due to indifference, or any number of other things, you have since failed to live as Jesus would have you to leave. Today, come back to that first love. You know that's where you need to be. Why do you delay? Why do you procrastinate? Come back to the place you belong, and that's at the side of Jesus, serving Him faithfully just as we discussed this morning. If we could be of assistance in praying on your behalf in a public way that others will know and can pray too for your forgiveness, we'd be happy to do either of those things. But we, of course, would need you to let us know that, and we'd be honored to be a part of it. Would you not let that knowledge be known while together we stand and while we sing?